Awesome. Tēnā tātou, koutou hoki ngā tamariki o te ariki e hui nei roto a i te aroaro o tō tātou ātua a ihu karaiti. Kā nui ngā mihi mahana kia koutou, nā reira noku te honore ki te mihi mana hau kia koutou tēnei rā. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Talo falawa and welcome church this morning. Thank you so much for choosing to share your Sunday with us here at Elam Christian Centre, Manurewa. It's my absolute joy to be bringing the Word of God for us this morning. Apologies, uh, Pastor Adrian was meant to preach this morning, but I've jumped in and cover due to a family emergency. But as Pastor uh, mentions, uh, Steve mentioned, we're journeying through the Ten Commandments. And I know oftentimes when we mention the Ten Commandments, it can be a bit like, Okay, I'm not going to come anymore. I'll come back when we're done with the sermon series. And it's true. Nobody likes to talk about the Ten Commandments because it constantly reveals just how uh, I fall short. It reveals just how much I can't do this on my own. Actually, it reveals just how much we need a Savior. And so my prayer is that as we journey through the Ten Commandments, that we come away with our hearts sprinkled with gratitude and thanksgiving because we've realized that if it had not been for Jesus, we probably would be like ships without a sail. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're going in. Amen. <laughs> awesome. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray that more than man ideas and ideologies and abstracts and concepts, God, that the thing that would echo the loudest from this platform would be your word. And so I pray, God, that you would speak to us this morning. And God, we love you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, New King James Version, uh, here's what it says. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden and the woman said to the serpent we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God had said you shall not eat it nor shall you touch it lest you die then the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat it your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew what they, that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Exodus 20 verse 17 says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. God bless the reading of his word this morning. When God took the Israelite people out of Egypt, rescued them from slavery, Moses had to lead what many scholars of the Bible believe to have been about three million people into a promised land, a promised land that they had never been to before. 430 years of slavery meant that they had never been governed before. They had never been part of a society before where they were valued and considered as people. They spent every waking hour under the whip of a slave driver. The whip was their rule, it was their law, and to rebel against it meant certain death. So through the miraculous hand of God and 10 plagues and disasters, the people are finally free. No longer under the shackles of slavery, no longer bound, no longer captive. But now they begin to ask the question, what do we do? 
Now that we are free, what do we do? How do we live our lives? How do we exist in this community? And so God in his great wisdom invites Moses to a hikoi and a hui up Mount Sinai. And it's there where God does the speaking and Moses does the listening. It's there where God gives Moses instruction on two tablet stones. We call them the Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments cover God's heart for people, all people, every race, culture, and age. And as you read through these Ten Commandments, you start to realize that it's absolutely impossible to read the Ten Commandments and not see that God's heart is for people. And so today, we're looking at commandment number 10, do not covet. In life, we have desires. Sometimes these desires can be good desires and sometimes they can be bad desires. But regardless of what the desire may be, one thing is certain. We may not act on every single one of our desires, but all of our actions are the result of our desires. My getting up and getting into this baggy top is the result of a desire. Whether that desire was to look good or try to keep warm or simply hide my belly fat, my wearing what I'm wearing today is a result of a desire. My waking up and coming to church this morning is a result of a desire. This desire to be with God's people, the desire to worship together, to fellowship together, the action started with a desire. Now, it's important to know that not all desires are bad. Joy, belonging, security, comfort and safety, excitement and adventure. There is nothing wrong with all of these deep desires for good things. I mean, Psalm 37, 4 says that God gives us the desires of our heart. We desire to be loved. We desire for our lives to have meaning and purpose. We desire to be well-respected. All of these things are good desires. But we soon run into problems when we become deceived. Because it means that this once good desire now becomes a bad desire. I remember uh, when I was about 15 years old, everyone in school was starting to get mobile phones. Everyone was getting a Nokia phone. And this was during the time of the Nokia 3G flip phone. And uh, it was also during the time of the free weekend calling where you could call from Friday all the way up to Monday and you wouldn't get charged for it. It was incredible. And so everyone was getting mobile phones except for me. And so I would... You know, see how so many others would be having fun with their phones and just deep down inside me was this yearning and this longing and this desire to have a phone. I was deceived into thinking that a phone would bring me joy, that it would bring me, that it would make me really happy during my school years, that a phone would make my life so much better, that a phone would help me get NCEA certificate. But because my parents wouldn't let me have a phone, because I couldn't have a phone, this desire to have fun and experience joy in high school was now a problem. There was nothing wrong with a desire to experience joy, but because I've been deceived into thinking I could only experience joy if I had a phone, this desire was now distorted. And so I'm thinking of all sorts of distorted ways to get my parents to buy me a phone. I'm, I'm building a case for the importance of being able to reach me via phone. I'm building a case about safety and why I should have a phone. It's getting ridiculous, I'm telling you. When you can't have something that somebody else has got and they're having a good time and enjoying their life and you ain't, if you feel like your life will continue to be miserable unless you got what they got, you're going to run into a lot of problems. Because when desire meets deception, it's going to breed discontentment. When desire meets deception, it's going to breed discontentment. My friends, they started getting phones. They'd call me over to show me the phone and I'm being a mean buzzkill. You know, I don't even want to celebrate the fact that they got a phone. I don't want to be in their vicinity. I'm suddenly mad at them. I'm jealous of them. I'm suddenly comparing what I have to what they've got. And I'm just in a state of discontentment. Eventually, I get a phone. 
And boy, I'm telling you, it wasn't even all that. Like, it wasn't even that great. This phone that I thought would bring me joy actually started bringing me a headache because now I'm not paying attention in class because I'm on the phone all the time. Now I'm in detention because I'm on in, in phone all the time. Now I'm failing assignments, uh-oh, because I'm on the phone all the time. And before I knew it, they started releasing a new kind of a phone. And it's the Nokia 3G slider phone. And now my desire to have joy has shifted. I've talked myself into believing that the new Nokia 3G is going to bring me joy. It, it, that, you know, it's going to bring me joy and contentment. All of a sudden, I'm wanting more. I'm not happy with what I have. I need more. I've got to have more. And I need it now. Have you noticed that in this world that we live, the desire to want that which we don't have is at the heart of so many problems that we face. The Bible calls it coveting. Coveting in the Bible is the Hebrew word hamad. It has both a positive meaning and it's also got a negative meaning. In negative terms, hamad is, oh, in positive, yeah, in positive terms, hamad means to take delight in. In negative terms, hamad is being defined as covetousness or the excessive desire for something that you don't have. It's an excessive sort of passionate longing to possess something that is not yours. Again, there's nothing wrong with having desires or wanting certain things, but coveting is this excessive desire that ultimately compromises your convictions in order to gain something that you want. It is also an envious desire for what someone else has got. A scholar of the word put it this way, covetousness works like this. The eyes look upon an object, the mind admires it, the, wills go, the world goes over to it, and the body moves in to possess it. Coveting is the 10th commandment, and of all the commandments, it's the only one of the 10 that speaks to an internal matter. The other commandments deal with actions. This commandment deals with attitude. The other commandments are about behavior. This one is about your mind. Don't steal says keep your hands off, but don't covet says don't even think about it. The other commandments focus more on the things that we do, but this commandment deals straight with the heart and its desires. Coveting is a sin of selfishness. It's never content with what you have. The first mention of the word covet in Hebrew is found in our text this morning. Eve saw the fruit, the fruit she desired and wanted and coveted, and she took and then later she hid. Prompted by deception and unbelief, the pattern that coveting takes is simply this, to see, to covet, to take, and then to hide. Eve first saw, to see, Eve probably saw this fruit before and, even, and didn't even desire it. She would have been able to look at this fruit with absolute sincerity and have no desire to eat it. But because of deception, she saw the fruit differently. The fruit didn't change. Her eyes saw the fruit in the new light because she was deceived. You know that your longing has turned to coveting when you desire something that is clearly outside of God's revealed will for you. The second thing she did was she coveted. She not only saw, but now she coveted. She chose to think about it, consider it, and coveted it. Of all the trees and the fruits in the garden that she could have enjoyed, Eve decided that the one fruit that God instructed her to avoid, she was going to have. When you are being deceived into feeling like God is holding out on you and blessing everybody else but you, you're going to start desiring what they have. And you're going to start asking why I don't have it. You're going to start talking about why you deserve it. You start to have an excessive desire for it. The third thing was take. Eve not only saw the fruit, she not only coveted the fruit, but she also took it. Eve's covetous heart led to an outward action. From Eve's deception and unbelief flowed coveting, and from coveting flowed her disobedience of eating the forbidden fruit. Finally, she hid. 
Now, upon seeing the fruit, desiring the fruit, taking the fruit, she and Adam both realized to their shame that they were both naked. And so they try to make clothes out of fig leaves, but they can't seem to cover themselves and hide themselves because the God who made them knows, surely knew of their disobedience. You see, to add to the problem, our natural tendency to covet, bad enough as it is, is manipulated and heightened by society. We love to encourage coveting. Coveting is like a major global industry that's thriving and flourishing in our midst. We call it advertising and marketing. Advertisers spend an inordinate amount of time trying to make us dissatisfied with our lives so that they can make us covetous enough to spend our money on their products. You need only to look at the world around us to see this. You look at all the advertisements and the billboards and you're being told, if you haven't got this product, you're not that great. If you haven't got this many followers, you're not much of an influencer. If you haven't got this big of a house, you're nobody. If you haven't got this kind of a car, you ain't got much wealth. If you look this big with a waistline this wide with this kind of a hair, you ain't pretty enough. If you don't have this many abs with monstrous biceps, then you ain't strong enough. If you don't have a church this big and lights this flash, then you ain't reaching nobody. If you don't have a voice this great and can't ad-lib like this, then you ain't anointed enough. You need to only look at the world to see how coveting is being heightened by society. And if you're wondering, what's the big deal? What is the problem with a little bit of coveting anyway? You see, the problem with coveting is that it encourages us to try and satisfy our needs in the wrong way. For example, when you get hungry, it's a terrible idea to try and fill your stomach with paper. Ain't nobody under the sun is going to try and be crazy enough to do that. But that's what coveting does. It points us to the wrong answer. We desire for contentment so bad, but because the world around us, because of the world around us, we get roped into this misconception that says that the only way to find contentment is by acquiring things that I don't have. We live in a world that is constantly trying to fulfill internal desires and appetites with external and destructive things. And so the question is, how on earth are we supposed to combat covetousness? How are we going to save ourselves from the destruction that covetousness brings? The antidote for covetousness is contentment. We combat covetousness by finding contentment in what we have and who we are. But how do we do this? Here are some practical ways that we can do this. Number one, adopt an attitude of gratitude. Adopt an attitude of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To adopt an attitude of gratitude is to acknowledge that it is God who has blessed us and provided for us and given to us. And so because of this, we become more able to appreciate what we have. You know, King David had everything that he ever needed. And yet when he saw a beautiful woman bathing, he sent for her and then he lay with her and then he tries to cover up the sin and it ultimately leads to the death of this woman's husband. There was part of David that wanted more. There was part of David that kept reaching for more. You see, when you become satisfied with what God has blessed you with, covetousness is quickly destroyed and you stop reaching for more. You stop reaching for that which you don't have. You stop reaching for the upgrade. There's a quote that says, gratitude gets us through the hard stuff. To reflect on your blessings is to rehearse God's accomplishments. To rehearse God's accomplishments is to discover his heart. To discover his heart is to discover not just good gifts, but the good giver. If it don't point, if it don't point me to God, I don't want it. 
If it don't leave me hanging, having gratitude, I don't want it. If it don't leave me appreciating what I have, then I don't want it. Let me ask you this morning, where in your life do you need to adopt an attitude of gratitude? Where in your life do you need to stop reaching for more and be thankful for what you have? When you've got everything that you need, but you find you're still reaching for more, you're in danger of coveting. Adopt an attitude of gratitude. When you start to compare your life with the lives of others, you're in danger of coveting. Adopt an attitude of gratitude. When you start talking about how you ain't, you ain't getting paid enough to do what you do, when you start talking about how much you're worth over in that, uh, in the, at the competitor's firm, you're in danger of coveting. Adopt an attitude of gratitude. When you struggle to celebrate other people's blessings and accomplishments in life, whoo, you're in danger of coveting. Adopt an attitude of gratitude. How do you adopt an attitude of gratitude? You speak to your soul and here's what you say. Soul, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Adopt an attitude of gratitude. Here's the second thing I want to encourage you to do. Evaluate what you value. Evaluate that which you value. In Luke 12, there's a story of a man who yells out to Jesus and says, Rabbi, teacher, please tell my brother to divide my father's estate with me. So Jesus used this as an opportunity to teach the crowds about material strongholds in a person's life. Jesus said, watch out and be on guard against covetousness. It comes in all shapes and sizes. It appeals to people of, from all walks of life, regardless of income or social status. Now, one is, no one is immune to the attacks of covetousness. It is when the material takes priority over the spiritual. Jesus got to the heart of the matter, revealing that this man who spoke was just as greedy as his brother whom he was complaining about. And Jesus goes on to say, your life is not in the abundance of your possessions. In other words, Jesus is saying, the value of your life is not measured by how much stuff you have. What you possess has nothing to do with what life is all about. Life does not consist of stuff. You see, a covetous person is materialistic. They consider the physical, the materials, the stuff more important than the spiritual and assumes that their life consists in the abundance of their possessions. And so because of this, they are never satisfied. They fail to trust God to provide for them and assumes that God is holding out on them. Let me ask you this morning, where in your life are you valuing the stuff? Where in your life is the material stuff more important than the spiritual? You need to know today that covetousness promises contentment and fulfillment, but it delivers neither of these things. Covetousness says that material things will make you happy. Covetousness says that possessions will bring you joy. Covetousness says money can buy you anything. I came to tell you, money can buy you medicine, but it can't buy you health. Money can get you a house, but it can't get you a home. Money can buy companionship, but it can't get you friendship. Money can buy entertainment, but it can't bring you happiness. Money can get you a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. Money can buy a crucifix, but it can't get you a savior. Evaluate what you value, and after you've done that, Make adjustments. Amen. Is that all right? Ooh, I feel a little bit stink. Number three, be generous with what you have. Be generous with what you have. 
When you have a lot, it can be so easy to become stingy and then we want more. Could I suggest to you that perhaps the very thing that you can do to counter covetousness is not to grasp for more, but to learn to give it away. There's a parable in the Bible about a rich man. He had a large harvest of crop. Having nowhere to store the harvest, he tore down his barns and built bigger ones. Once he solved the problem of what to do with all the stuff, he kicked back and said to himself, take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. At no point did he say, God has blessed me with abundance. At no point did he say, I have more than I need. At no point did he say, who can I serve with what I have? There was no room in this man's life for anyone else. You see, God doesn't just bless you so you can uh, build bigger storage houses and spaces. He blesses you so that you can bless others. I'm telling you, if you want to kill covetousness, be generous with what you have because it's so much fun. Isn't it great to be able to bless someone and not expect anything in return? It seems that the more that we give, the more God, God gives to us. Generosity is a beautiful thing and it reaches far beyond ourselves. Here's what Proverbs 11, 24 to 25 says. There is one who scatters yet increases more and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. Generosity is at the heart of John 3, 16. God's love for us led to the most lavish and costly sacrifice known to man. Jesus as a gift, a sacrifice to pay for our debt of sin. That's generosity. When it comes to generosity, the amount is not important. It's the heart that's important. For some, God may ask for everything. For others, God may ask for just a little bit. But the question that you must settle is, if you ask me, Lord, and I have it, am I prepared to give it? Be generous with what you have. Fourth and finally, Trust God to provide, my favorite point. Contentment begins with trusting that God is good and that he withholds nothing good from those who live with integrity. When you truly believe God's promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you, then you are able to be satisfied with what you have. The problem is we often don't trust God to provide because we don't trust what God's word says about God's goodness and his sovereignty. And so because of this, we get deceived so easily and we fall into disbelief. At the core, the root of covetousness is disbelief. It's failing to believe that what God has for you is best. It's failing to believe that God is able to provide. And so I want to close this morning by building your faith. If you're in the room this morning and you're saying, I'm struggling to trust God to provide for me and my family, I came to remind you this morning that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Ephesians 1.11 says, He makes everything work out according to His plan. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Isaiah 45, 2-7, this is God speaking. I will go before you and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through um, bars of iron. And I will give you treasure hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for battle. I create the light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. I am the Lord and there is no other. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched your arm. Nothing is too hard 
For you, Psalm 121.2 says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. Matthew 19.26 says, And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen. Church, you can trust God. Church, you can put your faith in Him. Church, you can believe in Him. Church, you can trust God to provide. He will never fail you. He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. We never like to close our services without giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're here right now and you don't know Jesus. You've got it all, but there seems to be something missing in your life. That contentment that you are looking for can only be found in God. That hope, that love, that joy, that peace that you are looking for can only be found in Jesus. God has orchestrated this moment just for you. He's extending you an invitation this morning to come into relationship with Him. You see, the God who created this world created you too. He created you to know Him. He created you to enjoy loving fellowship and relationship with Him. He created you on purpose for a purpose. But you see, the Bible talks about a barrier that keeps us disconnected from God. And that barrier, that disconnect is caused by this thing called sin. Sin is doing things our own way and walking in a disobedience to God. And so because of sin, we fall short and miss the mark at loving God and loving people. Sin, therefore, keeps us separated from God. Sin keeps us disconnected from God. But also the penalty of that sin is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the truth is this. God in His grace sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay the penalty of that sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself what you and I were due for our sin. But what I love about the story is that Jesus died and rose again on the third day, conquering sin, hell, and the grave. It means that through Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we become connected to God and restored into right relationship with him. And so today, He's extending to every single one of us His grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with Him in heaven. We must turn from sin and turn to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus because the Bible says, whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if you're here today and you're saying, I want to be connected to God, I want to come into relationship with God, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand and then you can put it back down straight away. And I'm telling you, you don't have to be shy or afraid up in here. Nobody in this church was born holy. Everybody in this room was a sinner saved by grace. But we want you to know that we've got your back and we're standing here with you. I'm going to count to three and you can raise your hand and put it down right away. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Amen. Let me 